Welcome back into the Dead Arm Sports Podcast, coming at you live on September 13th on a Tuesday in gel. To kick it off, I want to quote the famous Jimmy Johnson, how about them bears? (laughs) (laughs) That sounds more like a Dave Wanstead quote. (laughs) Probably. The the old mustache. (laughs) Yes. No. We'll uh, we'll get into some NFL later. Do you have a question? does Does that Wanstead mustache, like, not play as perfectly as possible for the city of Chicago. Like <laughs> I mean, it's that, no dick stash, but I mean, of course, but like <laughs> where else can you get away with that? Where else is that mustache more fitting than Chicago? Yeah. No, that's I mean, a, that's a valid point. You know, <laughs> I, I'm sure I'm sure during those winter games it got a little messy from a little potential drainage, but <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> how's that for a visual? Ugh. Not great, Bob. Not great, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to get into some of our questions after week one during our NFL segment later on in the show, but wanted to bring one to the forefront. Going back to that Thursday night game, Joe, can anyone beat the Bills this season? They look like they were firing on all cylinders. Take down the defending champs. That offense is just absolutely deadly. Those I mean, clear favorites. <laughs> they have to be. They took down the. They didn't just take down the Super Bowl champs. They destroyed the Super Bowl champs. I mean, it was it was a bloodbath. Stafford. How many times did Stafford go down or either get sacked or was under heavy pressure? That was constant. Granted, pretty much most offensive lines across the league looked pretty bad, and that's how usually the the seasons start off. Is yeah. defensive lines are generally way ahead of offensive lines, given that there's kind of a choreography to being, you know, to having a stout offensive line where the D line is just athletes going and attacking. So it's a lot easier week one, early on first month of the season where you're going to see probably a lot more defensive lineman dominance than maybe later on in the season. But yeah, I mean, Von Miller looked really good for the bills. Who knows, is he going to be able to fill out that or finish out that six-year contract? Probably not. He's already in his 30s. But, hey, the Bills are here to win now, and hopefully uh, Jim Kelly doesn't get in the way this time. (laughs) Right. No, I agree. It was That was just an absolute trouncing. And, I mean, we saw over the weekend, too, what the rest of that AFC East looks like. With Miami looked okay going up against the Patriots and – I mean, the Jets are the Jets, so it's they're not going to have any competition there. So it's going to have to come from somewhere else. But Joe Flacco isn't going to be the answer. <laughs> nah, not uh, not this year. <laughs> Man, the second the second that I heard Joe Flacco starting, Ravens money line minus two eighty. I'm I'm willing to take it if the Ravens lose and I end up losing my money three times over. Fine, but it's about a 100% guarantee that that ain't going to happen with Joe Flacco uh, against the Ravens. He looked like he looked like the Flacco of old that we all uh, that we all know and hate to watch. <laughs> right. <laughs> we can be found at Dead Arm Sports, Twitter, Instagram. Check us out on Facebook at Dead Arm Sports. Make sure you subscribe and click the bell on our YouTube page. We are currently live right now, so if you are streaming that, you can ask us any questions, have that chat up, and uh, more than happy to answer and 
respond to any questions that are asked. If you want to follow us on our individual socials, Jell can be found at DasGel, that's at D-A-S-J-E-L. I can be found at DasJPEC, that's at D-A-S-J-P-E-C. Got the TikTok page up as well. Jell's firing away those uh, social medias over the weekend, letting you know his favorite bets and anything else that he feels like popping in on a Sunday morning there. By the way, uh, I'm going to do a lot. I'm going to, by the time that uh, I put up my my betting video up uh, before those noon games had some uploading issues and it didn't end up. Those videos didn't end up uploading until like 1140. So apologies there. That's a little, that's a little late, (laughs) but uh, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to definitely try to get that to uh, get that out first thing on Sunday mornings so that you guys can have some, uh, if you are a better out there, uh, I'll help you become a better, better. And, uh, if not, hopefully just uh, just something to get the gears churning in your brain and uh, maybe, you know, give you some additional things to think about. Absolutely. Speaking of things to think about, there's a lot of college teams that are thinking they're in a good spot or some that are in a bad spot, and we're going to get into that. Got our Week 2 NCAA breakdown here, and we're going to do something a little bit different here. We're going to go and just kind of talk about some teams, coaches, things in general that are either trending up or trending down. Again, it's still early. Might be some overreactions here, but got you covered. That's the best part about football. We can <laughs> yes. overreact every single week. <laughs> it's yep. not like baseball where you've got a game every day. You can't overreact. We can overreact 17 times a week this year. Yep. It's great. I'm going to kick it or off 17 with... times once a week for 17 weeks. I said 17 weeks a I don't even know what I said. 17 times a week, I think I said. <laughs> that ain't right. Well, it could be if you want. to. Well, no, to. you're right. I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to kick it off with one of my trending up topics, and I'm going to give a shout-out here to the Sun Belt Conference. The Sun Fun Belt, Belt Conference. The Fun Belt absolutely dominated this last weekend. Marshall getting the win on the road over Notre Dame. App State knocking off Texas A&M in College Station and Georgia Southern going into Nebraska and essentially firing Scott Frost themselves. So we'll talk about that. Scott Frost no longer with Nebraska. Nebraska wanted him gone so bad they didn't wait till October first when his uh, his contract count him two more seven games. and a half million. Two more games, seven and a half million. But ultimately, I think it was time. I mean, Scott Frost, he shouldn't have even been coaching to start off this season. They should have cut ties last year. But no, bringing it back to the Sun Belt, hell of a weekend for them. Yeah, I mean, I I guess obviously App State appears to be pretty legit. I was, I got to be honest, man, I was... I was a little disappointed they didn't make it into the top 25 um, because they hung, you know, they hung right in there with UNC and then they and then they beat A&M, who was ranked as the number six team in the country. I thought App State had a chance to jump into that top 25 if I mean, yeah, the Badgers aren't in the top 25 anymore. But shit, man, if we're being honest. That might that'd be a pretty good game, half state at Wisconsin. My favorite story of that game, though, has nothing. It, it doesn't have to do with, with anything that happened during the game. It's the ESPN College Game Day reaction after the game that is my favorite part. This upcoming weekend, they were supposed to go to a game at AM at Kyle Field, 
And instead, they flipped it, and now they're going to App State on Saturday morning. <laughs> that is an absolute. That is just doubling down on on the disgraceful uh, game that A and M had, and just they're just wiping their tears. Uh, ESPN's or ESPN's trying to wipe up their tears right now, and <laughs> and really just rubbing it in and saying, "Yep, we're not even co- college game day is not even coming. We're going to who you lost to." <laughs> <laughs> the following week to take your place. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it, I think uh, Miami was coming in this week, so that would have been a hell of a matchup. Texas A&M potentially would have been in that top five, top six. And, yeah, I don't blame them for flipping. I mean, that was just, yeah, that was ugly. <laughs> it was ugly. It was fugly. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm going to start off. Are Anything else from you? No, on fun that belts? was pretty much it. Just want to give them a shout-out to some awesome – Awesome wins, and yeah, Marcus Freeman starting off 0-3. I think that was the first time since like the 90s that Notre Dame or early early 2000s that they've started off. Or coach has lost his first three games in a Notre Dame. Losing the, the bowl game last year and then the yeah. first two this year, yep. Uh, I'm going to move over. T- I'm going to give you something that I think is trending down, and that is the AP voters. We were questioning this from the very beginning when we saw Notre Dame at five. We said, hold up, that seems way too high. They just lost Brian Kelly, one of their best coach since Lou Holtz, maybe. I mean, that's legit the, their most consistent program. Charlie Weiss wasn't good? <laughs> <laughs> big boy, big boy Weiss. Uh, and then not only Notre Dame at five, but also they had AM at six, which we questioned. Both of those teams... Being at that high, being in the top six, Notre Dame rookie head coach lost their quarterback, Jack Cohen, who maybe Jack Cohen's a little bit better than we thought, given that how rough they've started out this season. And then AM. I don't know what they did to be to deserve a number six ranking to start off this season. I mean, they had a great recruiting class. Yeah, I think that's that reason. won't matter for two years. <laughs> no. I didn't, it made no sense for them to be up that high. And then, so that's, that's just touching preseason in season. I still don't understand why they had Bama at number one over Georgia going into this, this past week, because Georgia was clearly the more dominant team. I mean, they, they wiped the floor with Oregon and, and Alabama showed that, I mean, based on that Texas game, they had no business being that number one team in the country, and Georgia continued to roll in week two. So I didn't understand that. And then one last reason why I am trending, why AP voting is just trending down. They have no freaking clue what to do with the Gators. They go from unranked <laughs> up to 12. Now they're back down to 18. Like, make up your damn mind here. Right. I... I I get that there's big swings and that Florida had a sweet first, you know, week one win and they looked really impressive. But I don't know how you make a jump from unranked up to there and then lose to a very, very quality Kentucky team and then drop back to 18. It's like maybe don't have so many damn extremes here, AP, you AP voters. I don't know. I like just I just have question after question after question. I I think maybe the only thing that they've gotten 100% right so far is Ohio State being the number three team. <laughs> yeah. No. Hey, seriously. Yeah. No, I mean, there's been so much flip-flopping this year, which, I mean, as a college football fan that you just want to turn on the TV and see 
competitive matchups and fun games. It's been a blast so far. You couldn't ask oh, for absolutely. a better three weeks of college football. But yeah, AP. I mean, they're <laughs> clearly drunk. But yeah, I mean the <laughs> the initial preseason rankings. Those are so hard though. Too like you said, Texas A and M had no business being up there, and I think. Like you said, the only reason they were up there is because of that number one recruiting class, which, again, they're not going to be making an impact. A good chunk of them, at least, are not going to be making an impact for a couple of years down the road. So, no, it's it's a bunch of baloney. And, yeah, <laughs> and yes, preseason AP rankings really literally shouldn't mean anything, but they do. I mean, they do for when it comes time to making the schedules, what's going to be on the primetime games, you know, what's going to be the what's going to be the big ABC night game. All that stuff. So that's why these AP rankings do matter, even though, even though they mean technically mean nothing, they matter in that way, and they and it matters when it comes down to later on in the season. When I, I mean, really, the only thing that ultimately matters is what's gonna what's the CFP uh, rankings when they start doing that, which I believe what that's usually starts week six, probably. Is it usually um, the first time the playoff rankings come out? Somewhere yeah, in that Yeah, somewhere in that. I think like the beginning to middle of October, I think, maybe. Yeah, so we're still so, so yeah, we're maybe a month out from that, which that's when the, the rankings actually do matter. But but like I said, I mean the, the AP rankings matter as to which games are gonna be the featured games. And I I guess A and M is lucky that they weren't one of the featured games this weekend because they got uh <laughs> Yeah, it was an ugly one. I think yes. they might have just been on AC or SEC Network. One of my other trending up is Arkansas. Arkansas is off to a 2-0 start. Got a win against Cincinnati. Another win this last weekend against South Carolina at home. And Raheem Sanders, KJ Jefferson have looked really solid. KJ so Jefferson's far. legit, dude. To start off the season. So I'm very curious, though. Again, they are trending up right now. It is early on in the season. Let me give you their next five games, Joe. Home against Missouri State. Shouldn't have any issues there. At AM, we'll see what AM team shows up there. Home against Bama, at Mississippi State, at BYU. So that is uh, four out of their next five games after Missouri State are going to be a test. So we'll yeah, win that a BYU, lot about That's a Arkansas. sneaky one. I'm sure that when they scheduled that, they weren't thinking they're going to be facing, you know, a BYU team that's in the top 15. Yep. That's uh that's that's gonna be a sneaky. That might be a sneaky one, but yeah, KJ Jefferson got to be incredibly impressed with, uh, you know, with the way that he's starting this season. He he was kind of somewhere, you know, he was among the names of players that could be in that Heisman race to start off the year, and he's proven he's proven why. I mean, no picks, over seventy five percent completion percentage. He's also got that. He's also done a lot on the ground. Uh, to start the season, so and and start his really his entire career. So, uh, yeah, I mean, off to off to an awesome start for for Arkansas. All right, I'm gonna stick with a team that's trending up, and I'm gonna stay in the same conference. I should say a, maybe a coach that's trending up here, and that's got to be Mark Stoops, yeah. coach of Kentucky. Oh yeah, he he just passed a uh, Bear Bryant, one of the most iconic co- uh, coaches in college football history in uh for most wins in Kentucky program history but the reason why I think he's trending up is because any of these big time schools that can their coach at the end of the year he's the first name that that he's the first guy that's got to be called here I mean 
Kentucky's a football or a basketball school. They're not a football school. And he's turned that into a super legit program over the few years that he's been there. I don't see, you know, he's he's now going to be the first guy called. And, hey, that means a major payday. Whether that's college or the pros, I think, you know, the Stoops name, it obviously fits the college, you know, kind of. The, yeah. That <laughs> last name fits college. Uh, just a tad. Just a tad. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, his future up Kentucky looks legit. They, uh, <laughs> the uh, quote unquote number twelve Florida Gators <laughs> took them down <laughs> pretty easily uh, this, this past weekend. So absolutely, Mark Stoops going up. I loved his post game presser when you know they the the reporter asked him, "How does this feel? What is this? What, like, what does this mean to you?" And he just kind of you know he's extremely humble, saying. I just got a good group of guys, got a great staff, and uh, you know I'm just lucky to be a part of what we've built. Not and so that's that's really that's just a really humbling response. Not being like you know yeah I I put together a great staff, I put together some great recruiting classes, I helped build this program up. No, it's it's a it's I'm just happy to be part of what we have put together, and that's. That's I I don't know. That's just a humbling thing to say, and it makes it just helped me kind of become a little bit bigger of a fan of of the guy, not just the coach, but the guy. Yeah, no, he's done an absolutely phenomenal job. I mean, Kentucky. I don't know what five years ago even was a team you just like laugh at, like you'd see them pop up not on a, a schedule. <laughs> Waffle House. Waffle House. <laughs> But, I mean, Kentucky is a team that put no fear into anybody a couple of years back, and he's turned that into a program now that it's it's no sure win and there's a good chance that they're going to end up beating you. Do you think he ends up just hanging around Kentucky? I mean, there's going to be some other jobs that are open, but, I mean, it's an SEC job. He's turned around that program where he's been getting in some decent recruits. You're in a pretty weak Again, once Texas and Oklahoma come over, we'll see what that realignment looks like as far as divisions, um, conferences. Good point. With that. But, I mean, right now that SEC East is weak. I mean, you have Georgia, and then from there, we'll see what Tennessee is. You'd mentioned Florida bouncing around like a pinball machine in the AC <laughs> rankings. But outside of that, it's up for grabs. I mean, you pull off a shocking win and pull off a win against Georgia and you've got a front seat to that SEC championship game. So it's not like it's the West right now where you have a bunch of other teams. You got Bama, LSU, A&M, I mean, that are usually perennial powerhouses and going to be competing where, I mean, right now, Kentucky, it's just Georgia that you're fighting against for the most part. I think he may stick around. I, I could almost look at this like kind of the Luke Fickle situation where, Maybe Fickle sticks around one year after Desmond Ritter leaves, and maybe after this season, assuming Cincinnati has a good has a good year, he realizes, okay, it's my time to jump. I think maybe Stoop sticks around one more year after this year, once Will Levis leaves, and if maybe he has a down season, still a good season, but maybe a little bit more of a down season, it's kind of a reality check as to what you know, the reality of where Kentucky football, we don't have the ceiling that, you know, obviously not using, you know, I'm not saying these coaches or these programs are going to have openings, but we don't have the ceiling of an Alabama, a Clemson, an Ohio State, an Oklahoma, a, 
a Texas, for example, so a USC. So I think if you know, it's going to obviously have to be the right job that opens up. I don't think he would bolt Kentucky for like a UCLA if Chip Kelly left. But may, but if UCLA were willing to pay up with them going to the Big Ten, maybe he would consider it. Although Mark Stoops doesn't necessarily seem like an LA guy. Uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that there's a mismatch there, but no, I I I I would bet he kind of goes the Luke Fickle route and sticks around one more year, and you know, and then maybe then maybe he jumps. But I the fear in that is um oh who's the uh, Iowa State coach uh, Matt Campbell Matt Campbell yep he had a chance to jump at an NFL job or a high-end job, and now nobody's even bringing up that name. So that's what you risk if you do decide to stick around at your school. Now, like I said, Matt Campbell's not even being mentioned as a name out there. So if if Mark Stoops sticks around and kind of falls off, eh, the opportunities might not be out there anymore. Yeah. No, and it'll be interesting too. I think ultimately, I think Stoops sticks around for a little bit just until some of this conference realignment is done. You don't want to jump to a team that you think is in one conference and then all of a sudden they get left behind in the dust. So I think right now he's got a good gig in the SEC, which we know SEC and the Big Ten are going to be the two power conferences right now and just kind of go from there with it. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad you brought up uh, Campbell's name, Joe, because one of my trending down teams is the team that his Cyclones beat this last weekend to take home the uh, Cyhawk trophy, and that is Iowa. Iowa has scored 14 total points on the season so far, putting up <laughs> two safeties and a field goal their first game, and then <laughs> one, about one touchdown this last game. So. One Iowa, touchdown on the season in two yeah, games. Sitting Yikes. at one and one very easily could be 0-2 right now. This offense is just absolutely putrid. Defense is typical Iowa defense, but, man. And, I mean, I guess we can lump the Badgers into here, too, and just say that this Big Ten West division is just god-awful. <laughs> just awful. I mean, at, at this point, who can you say is the is the odds-on favorite? Minnesota, Minnesota probably, but Ibrahim or uh, Ibrahim. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ibrahim I mean, he's and, he... uh, was it Tanner? Yeah, the I know who you're talking. Tanner, whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Um, I mean, Ibrahim looks like himself pre torn Achilles, so good to see him back and and rolling for for his own sake, but. Yeah, that's that's rough when it looks like you know Mr. Row the boat is gonna <laughs> is is the front runner for the Big Ten West. That's that's not generally a good sign. Not not a sign of strength. Certainly, I can't imagine the Gophers stand much of a chance against the Buckeyes in a in a conference championship game. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I've got one other guy that I think is down, um, and that's gonna be Jimbo Fisher. Uh, I mean. You have to question, is he just, is he a good coach or is he just a really good recruiter? I mean, obvious along with, you know, his boosters being able to pay for whatever the hell he needs. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I read somewhere that comparing him to Kevin Sumlin, again, a guy that would bring in some sweet talent, but never could deliver 
anything at least super meaningful. It's not really a good sign if you're being compared to Kevin Sumlin. So <laughs> any any uh, Aggies down here don't. Uh, yeah, he had his he had his nice run there with Manziel, but that's not because of Sumlin. That's because of Manziel and Mike Evans and and that some of the studs on Miles Garrett. I was one of his one of his guys as well. So is Vaughn there too? I don't think that I don't think I don't think someone was there that early. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, Jimbo, he's got to start winning some games. They're not paying him. They didn't give him a ten-year deal just to have some nice recruiting classes. He's got to deliver on the field, and so far he hasn't really at least done anything, anything truly meaningful. And the other the other piece to this puzzle is how safe is that uh, that quarterback job for? Uh, for Haynes King, they did have they do have a five star uh, Connor Wegman coming in this upcoming or this past season. Also a transfer f- uh, from LSU, Max Johnson at quarterback. So, is it time for A and M to really potentially shake up that QB position? Because Haynes King was a very high end recruit, but he's I mean if he's got to be able to beat A or he's got to be able to beat a- App State. Yeah, no, they need to do something. I mean, it's unexcusable. Like you said, Jimbo Fisher, they brought him in from coming over from Florida State where he turned around that program, and Florida State was one of the best programs in the country at that time. And and now look at where Florida State is. Yeah, and <laughs> not great. But, uh, no, comes over to Texas A&M, and you'd think that he would be competing for that SEC West championship and hasn't even made it to one yet. <laughs> My last one I think I have here, um, I've done two trending up. I'll give another trending down here, and that is West Virginia. West Virginia is currently wasting JT Daniels' uh, start so far. JT Daniels thrown for 570 yards, five touchdowns, two picks, and they're just not good. (laughs) Ofer? Yes, Ofer (laughs) 2. I guess you got to hope for JT Daniels sake, putting up these numbers is going to get him drafted or, you know, maybe not a first round pick, but somewhere to play in some play in some, or at least be a solid backup in the NFL, be drafted, you know, kind of a fourth round ish type of player, maybe a third kind of like what, where Sam Howell got picked. Uh, if JT Daniels continues to put up these types of numbers, that's definitely possible. Daniels was a high-end recruit coming into USC, now on his third collegiate team. but So he is putting up numbers. That's obviously a bright spot for West Virginia, Mountain Mama, but you got to be able to... <laughs> Again, it comes down to winning games. Who gives a shit who your players are if you're not winning games? Yeah. All right, well, let me, let me finish on a positive... I guess uh, sort of positive note. I guess I'll go <laughs> trending up with a little bit of a downer uh, along with it. Right, currently trending up, Tennessee Volunteers finally, finally look like they're halfway legit. I mean, uh, Josh Heupel, maybe their best coach since best coach in this century. I, I don't. I mean. Yeah. They haven't done they haven't done shit since T Martin was their quarterback back in like 2000. So he it looks like he's got a halfway decent program. I was definitely you know this, I was definitely like a I'll I'll believe it when I see it with Hayden Hooker. 
he looks to be he looks to be the part. They got a nice win uh, this past week. So I guess trending up in that sense for Tennessee for this season. The only shitty part that they have to look forward to is that they have to probably starting next year is eat all of Jeremy Pruitt's recruiting violations where next year you may see some scholarship reductions, some recruiting restrictions. And that kind of sucks for Tennessee that they have to, that, that Josh Heupel is going to be the one that has to be the, what's the opposite of beneficiary of, of Jeremy Pruitt's <laughs> violations. Like the, you know, ultimately the recipient of those violations. So yeah. that's what sucks for Tennessee, but at least they know they've got a sweet coach in, in Josh Heupel and, you know, maybe maybe it's maybe this transfer portal can really help Tennessee and maybe the recruiting violations won't hurt as much, but it's good. I mean, Tennessee's been a, a team that a program that we've been just kind of sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for them to finally pop again, again for the first time in a couple decades, basically. Josh Heupel might be the guy to do it, so you gotta be kind of excited finally if you're a Vols fan. Yeah, Hendon Hooker's looked awesome so far, and like you mentioned, Tennessee. Hardly know her. Yeah, and they won on the road in overtime against Pitt this last week, so that was a big road win for them before I believe they start SEC play this week or next week. But I know they've got they've got a tough slate coming up for the SEC. They got Georgia obviously in their conference. They play Bama this year, so it's going to be it'll be interesting. I mean, there's no to easy see. schedule in the SEC. No. <laughs> But that's I mean, if you can kinda, avoid Bama, about everybody. <laughs> if you can avoid Bama, though, that's a that's a favorable schedule. But I guess Alabama don't. has a nice schedule, given that they have Austin freaking Austin P on there. What <laughs> Shocker! Freaking joke! <laughs> right? Damn it, Saban, get it together! Yeah, no, Josh Heupel's another one in there with like Mark Mark Stoops, where you've got a nice team in the SEC East. It's up for grabs outside of Georgia. All it takes again is one of these teams to knock off Georgia, and you can kind of go right into that championship game but yeah we'll we'll see once these recruiting violations come down that'll be interesting but it is good to see Tennessee back on the map they've been a team in the past that has high expectations their fan base has high expectations for them they've shown flashes in the past but just couldn't put it together they lose some sloppy games and just derail you like them nice there. and sloppy. <laughs> yes. But. And what's what's ultimately kind of fucked about Jeremy Pruitt, I think it's pretty well known that, like, the SEC has been paying players well before yeah. it was legal to do so. He's just a he's just a big enough dumbass to actually get caught. Like, <laughs> get your shit together. <laughs> Speaking of dumbasses, Joe, let's transition over to the NFL. I know uh, <laughs> you want to put some coaches on blast. You had quite a few questionable coaching calls this last weekend, so I'll go ahead and give you the floor here. Well, let's let's start off with last night's game. Again, we're live on a Monday, and, or Tuesday. right Tuesday, <laughs> live on a Tuesday. Let's go to Monday Night Football, and uh, Matt Ebert. Or God damn it, Nathaniel Hackett. Too many, too many coaches on my mind. Nathaniel Hackett. We've learned. Not sure if he can hack it. I the 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 their last. They had a minute and eleven seconds left. Fourth and five at about the what forty five year or maybe forty five yard line or so. Just yeah, or just their inside own the forty five. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And but a fourth and five, and 
it looked like Hackett did not know. That whole Broncos offense did not know what they were doing. A minute and 11 seconds left, and they literally just ran the clock down to 20 seconds. Everybody on the Broncos kind of looked like, okay, are we going to call a timeout? Are we going to go for it? Are we going to, what are we going to do? And because it's not like, so, and then, and then Russell Wilson with one second left on the clock, on the play clock has to call a timeout with 20 seconds left in the game, which ultimately set up a 64 yard game winning field goal attempt, which went wide left. But my but the thing is it looked like nobody on the Broncos knew that that was the plan and that that it seemed like Nathaniel Hackett just kind of froze. You'd think that if if the Broncos knew that they were going to that that was the plan. The plan was to kick the field goal. The team would have, you know, gone off to the sideline and just Hackett would have just waited around till that one second mark and he would have called the timeout himself. But no, everybody just kind of waltzed up to the line looking around and Russ didn't even really, like, make any phony, you know, hut hut kind of things, uh, kind <laughs> of phony snaps or anything like that. And and then he ends up being the one to call a timeout with one second left because it just showed that Hackett did not really know what he was doing at the end of that game. Yeah, uh, Schefter Hardly Knower tweeted out um, about an hour ago, and he'll quote his tweet here. It says, addressing his decision to attempt a game-winning 64-yard field goal last night, Broncos head coach Nathaniel Hackett just told reporters, quote, looking back at it, we definitely should have gone for it, end quote. So. Oh, yeah, no shit. You have Russell Wilson. You just gave him a $245 million contract. He's got the he's got the most two-minute uh, drives to finish off either the first half or the game since he came into the league in 2010. He's got the most score or most points inside two minutes. And you're not, you just gave him that, that massive contract and you're not going to put it in Russell Wilson's hands. Instead, you're going to put it in the, in your kicker's hands or foot, I guess. (laughs) Well, the kicker has, kicking was awful all weekend too. And the kicker is, for I can't I don't know how many from 62 plus yards he's tried multiple field goals from past 62 yards and hasn't made any in his career it's in Seattle which we know is a hard place to kick in in general I mean you're and, <laughs> they're at you're at sea level when you're in Seattle and he's used to kicking at mile high where the altitude is you know you're talking about a mile of difference in altitude. <laughs> so he's, it's not even normal kick. You know, it's not the kicking conditions that he's necessarily even used to. It's week one as well. Yeah, no, it was just absolutely mind boggling. And then, like you said, to let the clock run down that much where they were just absolutely clueless on what they were doing. I mean, I could see if you were at the 30 yard line or something like that, like that's something you would do. Is For run down sure. The clock. That's completely different though. <laughs> but, yeah. I don't know if he was confused and thought he was on the Seahawks 40, 45 instead of his own, but yeah, no, that was just absolutely mind boggling. And obviously you could tell it was his first time coaching. It in an felt NFL like game it was and, just a yeah, freeze up and he's like, Oh shit, I don't know what to do. And then there hour. were 20 seconds that 20 or 30 seconds had run off. And he's like, Ah, shit. Well, it's too late to call a timeout now. So, Russ, call a timeout at one second. Like, I don't... It, just 
completely frozen. Yeah, it's his first game as a head coach, but you were hired to be the head coach, and so you have to understand clock management. Something that we've all killed Mike McCarthy for in the past is horrible clock management. Go back to last year in that game uh, that game against the Niners. 14 seconds left. Dak runs a that QB draw, and then they can't even, they don't save themselves <laughs> enough time to get a spike down. Like, this is the clock management shit that loses games and ultimately kick the Cowboys out of the playoffs. Ultimately, in this division, this decision, in this, this division of the AFC West with how competitive it is, this decision, this one loss, that may come back to bite him in the end and maybe yeah. that screws him out of a wild card spot. So... This is these are the kind of pressure decisions that you have to make if you're hired as a head coach of a team that has extremely lofty expectations. Yeah. Shout out to the uh, coach that you thought you were talking about, Matt Eberflus. <laughs> Gets his uh, first win, his Bears debut, knocking off the Niners. A nice home upset. And all I can say is, Jell, that was one uh, sloppy field out there on Sunday. Good thing they put down the turf the week before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's all that's gone yeah put down new turf <laughs> right yeah that was a uh that just looked like a wet carpet out there <laughs> so bad that's one but of those hey, games I mean, though like if you're a kid you love playing in because you're just sliding around just getting soaked and just having a blast but well you saw that at the end of the game yeah. once they once they clinched the w fields and uh and some of his teammates running down doing the old Doing the, the the penguin dive in the yeah. end zone. It was like a did good you, like ten yard slide. I don't yeah, think he, he did, but that would have been know. nice. <laughs> that would have <laughs> been nice if he did that. Yeah, I guess he doesn't. You know, it wouldn't matter. You could you could dump a. Did he get a Gatorade dump? I don't know. Probably not. I mean, it wouldn't It'd be kind of pointless. But no, I obviously an extremely ugly game. But Jesus Christ, he. I mean, Trey Lance in that game looked terrible. Yeah. It did look like Fields had, you know, they they kind of embraced Fields a little bit more in, in his rollout ability where he was, you know, not so much in the pocket, at least a few more rollouts, which yeah. they weren't the doing half, last year. The first half, they weren't doing, it looked like, I was, I think, I can't remember if I texted our group or if I was texting my brother, but I was just like, man, are we still paying Matt Nagy to run this offense? Because it was <laughs> identical to what they were running last year. Two runs up the middle, drop fields back, keep him in the pocket, and have the pocket collapse and have him get sacked. But finally in the second half, they must have been like, oh, this is Matt Nagy's playbook. This was Wait a minute. <laughs> wrong binder. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> but and then they started rolling him out. And, I mean, yeah, there was a broken down play that fields hit Dante Pettis for that 50-some yard touchdown that there wasn't a 49er within 15 yards of Pettis when he caught the ball. But fields still – made a good decision there. I mean, from last year, he probably would have tried to force it somewhere else, but he's taking a look at different reads, seeing who's open that and had a nice uh, touchdown pass to Aquamia St. Brown too. That was uh, one that ended up taking the lead there, but what was no. pretty cool. Uh, ESB Equinamius and Amon Ross St. Brown both scored touchdowns within like a minute of each yeah. other. <laughs> that's pretty badass. That's, that's, that's godsend. Yeah, I guess the only other thing coaching-wise that I have to jump into is your former Bears coach, Lovey Smith, <laughs> going for a freaking tie. 20 seconds left at midfield, 
fourth and three. 20 seconds left in overtime. Fourth and three midfield. And he decides to punt the ball. <laughs> I mean, what are we doing here? Nobody, obviously, nobody wants to start 0-0-1. But, or 0-1, I guess. Well, A, nobody wants to start 0-1. Nobody also either wants to start 0-0-1. I guess it's a half a game better, but who really gives a shit? You're the Texans. Like, you... You want to send that message that, like, we're here to compete. We're here to fight. We're here for wins. We're not here for ties. It's not like the Texans are, you know, a team with extremely lofty expectations. And, hey, maybe, you know, maybe instead of a loss here, we get a tie, and that's what gives us the division. For being honest, are the Texans really competing for a playoff spot? Not this year. So, I mean, they looked like it the way they played in the first half, but their second half looked like... You know, go, being up 20-3 to three and then blowing <laughs> that, that 17-0 run by Indy, that's the Houston that we're used to. Yeah. But, I mean, if you're Lovey Smith, don't you have to send that message? Like, we're here to win. We're, we play to win the game. Like, isn't that the message that you have to send here? You're in game one, week one. Yeah, and it's not like his job security is that great. I mean, if Houston ends up with a top pick this year, they bring in a new quarterback and draft one. Yeah, they're probably going to just re-jump and reboot the whole franchise. So, I mean, he had a nice tenure with the Bears for a while, but after that, he's been bouncing around. I mean, he was at University of Illinois for a while. That didn't pan out. He was a D coordinator last year back in Houston when he came back to the NFL. So, it's not like he's some guru that is going to be – given a huge leash there. I mean, yeah, he should because it's his first season as a head coach. But, no, I mean, what do you have to lose if you're Houston? Like, okay, so you don't get it. Indy, turn, you turn the ball over. Yeah, there's probably a decent chance that Indy could get 10 yards and kick a field goal. But Well, okay, you... there's 20 seconds left. Let's say you run a play that takes five seconds. That leaves Indy with and, – and you don't convert. That leaves Indy with the ball at midfield with 15 seconds left. Okay, they throw an out pattern and they set themselves up for a 35 or, you know, at the 35 yard line for a 50 yard field goal. That's kind of what you're looking at. Like, it's not a big, that's not a big risk. And I think it's worth, I think it's just, it's just stupid to not go for the win there. And it's a fourth and three. It's not like this is a fourth and 15. Fourth and three, yeah. you're not telling your offense, hey, I know you guys can get me four yards. <laughs> right. It's just all of this just sends the wrong message. I mean, I get it that Rex Burkhead was the was the bell cow for them this past <laughs> this past week, but good God, you can you gotta tell you gotta let Davis Mills know I can I believe in you to get me four damn yards. Yeah, which clearly he doesn't. <laughs> clearly he doesn't. That's that's my whole point. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, no, it was a it was a wild and crazy week one. There's a lot of upsets. I know there was uh, some games that you weren't too thrilled about down the stretch, gel that ended uh, not the way you wanted to. But what were what are some of the questions that you have after just seeing this slate of games from week one? I guess I'll start it off with, what the hell are we supposed to take from that Pittsburgh Cincinnati game? <laughs> I mean, Cincinnati. Lost the turnover battle 5 nothing. They had 32 first downs. Pittsburgh had 13. Cincinnati converted on 53% of the third downs. Pittsburgh went 4 for 15 on third down conversions. 
and Cincinnati had the ball for 43 minutes. If I paint that picture, if we eliminate that turnover discrepancy, but I give you those other three things, those other three numbers, Blow you're out. sitting there thinking, <laughs> okay, they probably won like 38 to 7. They ended up losing in OT. They should have won that game, by the way, if it weren't for a blocked field or a blocked extra point. Or if they would have challenged Jamar Chase, who caught the ball with the ball over the goal line, and the refs called it short and in, before he went out of bounds. Instead, they decided to run. They decided another coaching gaffe, by the way. They decided to play hurry up offense and try to run a play really quickly instead of challenging that or calling a timeout and having the refs review it because that would have been overturned and that would have been a touchdown. So I, so I mean, Cincinnati just, just shot themselves in the foot burrow. Is he going to really turn the ball, the ball over four times again? (laughs) Probably not. So it's like Cincinnati shot themselves in the foot. And then also on the Pittsburgh side, First half, Mr. Bisky looked really good. His first 15, 20 plays looked looked pretty good. But then you get into the second half and he has to make more, you know, the plays aren't as scripted and you know, it's more I was of, kind s- of like a read and react and it's like that's also that's the Trubisky that I know from I Chicago. I was going to say I didn't get to see a ton of that game. The Bears were on at the same time, so I was watching mostly the Bears and foot back and forth between that and red zone here, but Mitch Trubisky historically has been pretty decent out of the gate with the plays that you practice in practice leading up to the game that you, like you said, you've got the first what 10 to 15 plays, 15, 20 plays are pretty much scripted. Yeah. Yeah. So he's usually pretty good with that. And then once you get him on the fly, that's when it uh, starts to derail a little bit, but no, I don't, I mean, from this one, for me, I'm not taking too much away from Cincinnati. I think Pittsburgh, obviously it's a nice win for them. Granted it was sloppy, but I'm not too worried about Cincinnati. Like you said, Burrow's not going to turn the ball over that many times usually in this one. T. Higgins went out fairly early with that concussion, so that was another part of Have you seen any update on his status going into Um, week two? We don't have anything at this time. It sounded like he was progressing okay through it. So it was a pretty nice, it was a pretty nice lick that he took. Yeah. So keep an eye on that for fantasy purposes. Um, But no, I'm not too worried about Cincinnati. I don't see a Super Bowl hangover or anything like that for them. I think this was just kind of like a, oh, okay, we're we're back to week two now. Let's just shake this one off and go back out there. So Well, we have to remember, too, with Joe Burrow, this was his first. He didn't have any game action in the preseason. He's coming off appendect, uh, the, yeah, the appendectomy. So this is his first game action, too, and, yeah, he might not have looked extremely smooth, but he'll get back to the burrow that finished off the year on a freaking tear with the Bengals. I want to go over to the game of the week that you didn't said you were not going to watch it all, Jalen. Are the Giants better than we thought, or are the Titans worse than we thought? <laughs> I don't know what to take from that game. <sighs> I mean, other than Brian Dable's got some massive stones for going for two there. <laughs> which is yeah, awesome which that's is what awesome. i'm talking about this yes. is that's how you change a culture man even just little shit like that that's how you change a culture and that's what bothers me about the nathaniel hackett thing the lovey smith thing you're you gotta all three of those guys are first year head coaches who do you feel most confident in right now amongst those three? Oh, dable without it's dable by a freaking <laughs> mile i mean 
if you're if you're Hackett and Russell and Russell Wilson doesn't convert, at least you made what I think is the right call and giving yeah. the ball to your best player, your two hundred forty five million dollar player. But getting back to this game, yeah, Dayball, hell yeah, love that call. Saquon looks legit. Yeah, he looks back. But I think I take more more out of this game is that Tennessee, I don't think they got the same juice that they've had the last couple of years. Tannehill may, I don't know if he's still rattled from that horrible playoff game that ended their season last year with those three picks. Derrick Henry doesn't necessarily have that same burst that he did. He's approaching age 30. He's been worn down. How, there's only so many, you know, hits that you can take. No matter how big you are, yeah, Derrick Henry has delivered a lot of hits, but shit, when you're delivering hits, that's also a giant hit on your own body. So Henry looked, I mean, and Henry's never been a, a massive burner unless until he really gets that head of steam going, yeah. but he still didn't didn't look like he had that same burst. And again, Tannehill just does not look dynamic whatsoever. So I, I, I guess I'm just I'm more down on Tennessee than I am up or high on the Giants. I think that's where I sit right now too. I, like you said, Saquon looked like he was back. He looked like he had that burst that he had early on in his career. So fingers crossed that he's fully healthy because he's one of the more fun running backs to watch play in the NFL. But yeah, Tennessee, man, that that offense. We had questions on it coming into this season too. We said that Indy was going to be the ones to walk away with the division, which. We'll see. They didn't look that great the first week either against Houston, but no, Tennessee's offense, though, without A.J. Brown, it just, I mean, Robert Woods didn't look that good either. Didn't I mean, do shit. He's coming off of an injury, so I'll give him a game or two, but no, it's. I mean, you got to, you got to, you touched good. on A.J. Brown. That's a, seems like a huge difference maker where Tennessee's offense clearly fell off and the Eagles' offense, I mean, A.J. Brown went off this yeah. past week. So. AJ Brown, true difference maker. It's, you know, I there's the there's the there's that saying where you know sometimes to show your true worth, if you're you know at work, just take a week of vacation, and see what kind of shit, what kind of firestorms you come back to, <laughs> and if they're if they're calling you when you're on vacation and they're like, we don't know what to do. That's that shows that that shows who you work for. That shows them your worth. Same thing here. AJ Brown being gone. That shows how much worth he had, how much value he had to that Tennessee offense. And then of and then obviously also the difference that he made in Philly this this week. Uh I've got one more that I want to run at you, and I guess we'll go back to the Bears game. <laughs> Would Jimmy G have won that game? Trey Lance looked bad, man. Like he was missing open throws. I know it was sloppy, but Jimmy G's, you know, he was he was went to Eastern Illinois, so he's played in shitty weather. First couple of years he was in New England, so he's at least practiced in shitty weather and and got, you know, his little bit of game action was in pretty ideal conditions, but you know, he's used to that Illinois weather playing at EC or Eastern Illinois couple of years in New England he's I, I, and Trey Lance just looked bad you think Jimmy G wins that game um probably because it wouldn't have taken much play from San Francisco's <laughs> quarterback room to win that one it was it was ugly it was one that as a Bears fan I was not expecting to win and glad we ended up walking away with the victory but yeah Trey Lance just I don't know I mean 
it's hard to Kittle was out, which I mean, I think that's going to be more often than not. That's what we've seen the last couple of years. Kittle can't stay healthy. So I think you just kind of scrap that right. as this is going to be their usual. And if he's in the lineup, then awesome. But Brandon, Ayuk had some nice catches down the sideline. So he looked okay, but I don't know. The bears off or defensive line was getting some pressure in there. Their cornerbacks looked halfway decent for the most part. They, I liked the Bears defense too, because they it reminded me of the old Lovey Smith days where they were swarming the ball trying to punch it out. And I don't know. The peanut it, punch. The peanut punch. Yeah. I saw that uh from I think uh was it Jalen Johnson who switched over to Peanut Tillman's number this year, 33. Ah. So, yeah. But, well, okay. We're in that number right then. Representing yeah. <laughs> that number right. Elijah Mitchell went down too, and to me, it just it kind of seemed like the 49ers weren't using Trey Lance to his full ability either. You saw, like you mentioned earlier on in this episode with the Bears, where second half they started rolling Fields out. They started having him running a little bit too, or Fields would take off, gain some yards there, where it seemed like San Francisco was almost being too cautious with Trey Lance at times too. I don't know if it had to do with the weather. Maybe they haven't fully opened up the playbook to him, but they weren't really having too many designed runs for him, moving him around at all. And I don't know. I He was kind of set up to fail a little bit, but ultimately, yeah. I mean, going back to your question, Jimmy G probably would have won them the game. But if you're San Francisco, I mean, when how bad does it have to get for you to put Jimmy G back into the lineup? I mean, that is going to just absolutely kill the confidence of Trey Lance. So I don't, I don't foresee that happening, but I'm sure Jimmy G was over there smirking on the sideline being like, (laughs) (laughs) his handsome face, but okay. So upcoming Niners schedule, he's got Gino next week. If they lose to Gino, I mean, Gino Wilson lost to Gino. I know, but it feels like a one hit wonder. Let's be honest. Gino, uh, Gino, <laughs> and then he faces Russell Wilson the following week, and then they go to L.A. What if they start off this season one and three? I, I, I mean, at what point do you pull the plug? Or it could be the opposite, and he, this was just a one-off, and and he gets shows what he can be next week. You know, at home against the Seahawks, very possible that he gets back on track. But I don't know, just definitely a storyline we we definitely need to watch because. They hung on to Jimmy G for a reason. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, we'll see what ends up happening with that. And we, I want to, I guess, kick it over. I don't really want to talk about this topic, but it was a big one from the weekend. And can the Cowboys win a game without Dak? And also is Jimmy G somebody, I know Jerry Jones said he's not doing anything. They're not putting Dak on IR. He Jimmy or Jerry Jones said he's not looking to get a veteran quarterback coming in, but with Dak's injury history the last couple of years, wouldn't it make sense for the Cowboys to call up San Francisco? Question is, what do you have to give up? Yeah. I mean, if you're only going to have, if, if Dak is only out for four or five weeks, they have, they can't give up any picks. Yeah. They can't give up anything legit. I mean, yeah, we'll take him for a fourth, but the Niners clearly aren't willing to give up give him up for a fourth. You can't be giving up a first rounder. No, the night or the, the Cowboys or I, but Jerry's the, I bring that up because Jerry is one to be desperate enough mm-hmm. and psychotic enough at times to want to make <laughs> right. that kind of a move. And they just, they can't for the Cowboys sake. I hope that they don't do something drastic like that and, and, and give up a first for four or five games and, 
you know, a couple extra wins, yeah, it can get you back to the division, potentially winning the division, but I don't think they can, I don't think they need to, I don't think they make a move. I, I don't think they do. I think that Jerry's just going to really, really push Dak to like, hey, Dak, how you feeling this morning? Every morning, <laughs> you ready to go voice. this week? <laughs> it's me. He sounds like a mortician, okay? I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Uh, do you have any more gel? <laughs> I'm, I'm good. good? I'll, I'll, that'll, that'll, that'll do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Um, just one more, just quick one for you. I want to know who who's the worst team in the AFC East? Obviously, the Bills are phenomenal, but, I mean, the, <laughs> New England's offense is going to be atrocious this year. I don't ha- – I dude, honestly, like, I think by the end of the year – we're gonna be saying the Jets are better than the Patriots. Yeah, because well that all because at least the Jets have pieces. They have building blocks. Yeah. The Patriots don't even have anything to build on. I mean, Mac Jones, we he was the fifth QB picked in last year's draft for a reason. His ceiling is limited, and he's being coached by a defensive coordinator, a <laughs> shitty one at that. So, <laughs> I yeah, I mean, and I mean, just weapons wise non-existent for new England. They're just so damn slow. At least the jets have some, you know, Brees hall, Elijah Moore, uh, Garrett Wilson, Michael Carter is still out there. Zach Wilson, hell of a lot more athletic than Mac Jones is. So at least like you see athleticism with the jets or, and you, or you see that there is some offensive potential for the jets. I see zero offensive potential for, for new England. I mean, straight up. All right, well, that will wrap up this episode. We can be found at Dead Arm Sports, Twitter, Instagram. Check us out on Facebook at Dead Arm Sports. Gel can be found at Das Gel. I can be found at Das JPEG. Make sure you go to our YouTube page, click subscribe, click the bell, so that way you know when our live episodes Ding. drop. You can ask us any questions on the chat there. We are monitoring that throughout the episode. Make sure you send us any questions to our socials. We've been tweeting out pretty active this last weekend. Appreciate those out there that uh, tweeted back with some questions. Got some uh, start-sit ones on Sunday and uh, got some uh, Monday Night Miracles. I know a uh, shout-out to the one gentleman that needed 70 points and a half PPR from Javante. <laughs> uh, had a decent game, but uh, no, no, not did not happen. Better luck, uh, better luck with your week two slate. But no, appreciate everybody out there. That's what we're here for. We love interacting with the uh, listeners That's funny, and man. interacting That's funny. with you on social media. So appreciate that. Um, yeah. Otherwise, uh, Joe, where can they listen to us at? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Google Pods. Just right there. Search Dead Arm Sports. You'll find us there. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be appreciated. Take a screenshot of that written review. Send it to us on our socials. Again, at Dead Arm Sports on Twitter and Instagram or on our Facebook page. Just search Dead Arm Sports. You can also find us on YouTube. Shocker. Just search Dead Arm Sports. <laughs> <laughs> And our uh, our channel will be sitting there, right? Uh, it'll be the first thing at the top of your search bar. You'll find all of our videos, uh, episodes. You'll every th- every time that we go live, you'll see you'll get a notification as long as you hit that alert bell. And uh, we will, you know, you'll you'll see all of our content is is right when it goes live, or right when it's uh, scheduled to be released. 
you'll get a notification. So plenty of content out there. We're going to be cranking it out. Uh, we'll be cranking these out multiple times a week. So make sure to subscribe uh, on YouTube as well. All right. Again, appreciate everybody out there listening. Uh, if you can tell somebody you know about the podcast, that would be wonderful. We'll be back with you tomorrow on Thursday and we'll let you know what we're looking forward to weekend slate of football return of our upset picks of the week. Maybe John, and I can finally pick an upset. Correct. So damn close. <laughs> Freaking no. God pissed. Didn't have the balls to go Appalachian state. I said it was the best bet of the week at, at app state plus 18. And I almost had them be my upset. Like didn't do it. <laughs> And we'll let you know how our Drew Locks ended up after week one and give you our week two Drew Locks for those of you out there for fantasy. Otherwise, Joe, close her out. Top headline of the day this morning should have read after this Monday night football game, Drew Locke now MVP front runner after making QB competition abundantly clear. <laughs>